Welcome to episode one, where we meet Abby Guido, Assistant Professor of Graphic and Interactive Design at Temple. Abby, can you tell us a little bit more about you, about your organization and what happened back in 2020? Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, John. So I'm Abby Guido. I am an assistant professor and uh, I'm actually at the Tyler School of Art and Architecture, which is a school within Temple University. And as John said, I teach design, I teach BFA students and MFA students as well. And I like to say I have specialties, but then I'm going to list out about 10 of them. So I, I really kind of covered the gamut within, within design. And, you know, looking back on March of 2020, that's the right year, correct? It's hard now. Sometimes I'm thinking, was it 19, 20, 21? But it was 2020. And, you know, it, it was one of those moments that we're all gonna, going to remember. Um, and where something just hits us and clicks. And, and at the moment, I realized that I was going to have some skills that I could use to help other people. And that was kind of the first kind of big realization as we had, you know, shut down, everyone moved online so quickly. And I was fortunate enough to be someone who had developed online classes in the past. So I was someone who developed our first online courses within my program. And while we only had two or three at the time, I did have some knowledge of how that worked. And then also I completed my MBA in an online program. And I completed that in 2016. So not that long ago, I was also a student in a fully online program, which brought some more expertise to the table that I was then able to share with my colleagues. That's great. And did your organization embrace workplace safety? I mean, did they totally shut down? Did they give you a couple of weeks to kind of prepare? Like many other people, we had the, uh, we're going to shut down for two weeks. That was, that was kind of the initial hit. And there were some rumblings of it. And I won't get too far into some personal things happening in my life at the time, but we had some extra reasons to be a little bit fearful of just health issues in my family. And so if I'm remembering right, I actually think that the week prior to the official shutdown, and I, I'm going to guess that date was around the 20th, because I feel like that's when things started to happen. I actually had moved my classes online because, again, at the time we were all thinking like, oh, this is going to be just a few weeks. So I was on online and then we shut down. And, and if I remember correctly, it was going to be for two weeks. Yeah, I remember it really well as well, because I'd only just returned from uh, my annual visit to New York, where I take students and we go around agencies and it's a great time, you know, lots of intense time within a one week period there, you know, approaching the end of winter. And we were a buzz, you know, and of course, what we started to think back on was that we'd just been in New York, on the subway, in the bars, everything was packed and crowded, but something was happening, right? So that is yeah. crazy that you were there right before I didn't realize that. Wow. And that was the last trip that we did to New York, which is kind of sad. We'll get back there again. But yeah, it really hit us that we could probably have been exposed, you know, a million times over to this pandemic. And luckily, we, none of us got sick. So that was good. But we were given those two weeks to prepare, and then it was only going to be for a couple of weeks as well. Yeah. Of course, you know, it's not going to be. Yeah. It was just a sweetener. I think a lot of us, too, I'm sure that you're in your program and other programs of folks listening, you know, it was coming towards the end of the academic year. And so on top of classes being pushed online, like your trip, there's all these other things happening. And for me, I run a class called event design and we throw our annual portfolio review, which is like a job fair. So now on top of like, we're going to be online for two weeks, 
we have this group of students working on this big event where we're trying to make these decisions of like, what do we actually do with this now? We learn to use digital tools as best as we can and listen out to whatever else is going on as well. We can return back to this in, um, in a little while. But first of all, I just want to know our listeners to know a little bit more about what you feel are maybe your three key pillars of education. You know, what is it that you really try to kind of instill in your design students? Absolutely. Uh, I love this question, John. And what I like about it is that it's changed so much for me over the years. But I would say in the past two years since the pandemic, it's changed the most, like really significant. It gave me a real chance to reflect back on on how I taught, how I was taught to teach and, and what I wanted to do in the future. And I would say one thing that really came to the forefront was how important it is to teach our students how to learn and to instill in them the passion for learning. And, you know, the pandemic was such a great example because we all had to learn so quickly on our feet how to pivot and how to change. And it, it showed me, wow, this skill is really what our students need to go out in the world because the world's going to keep changing quickly. And if they don't know how to learn on their own even, right, because they're not always going to be with us. So when they're with us, I really want them to learn how to learn. So that's something that became much more important to me. Along with empathy as well, you know, I, I think we always kind of tiptoed around it, not knowing exactly what we were trying to express when we were talking about creating students that want social change and, you know, have the civic minded, all these things. But it kind of boils down to me to having empathy for each other. And so how do we instill that value in our students is becoming very important. I haven't said anything about design yet, which is interesting. And, and I'm not going to actually, because my third one is, is how to be creative problem solvers. I'm not as concerned as I was earlier in my career to create students that can be the very best visual communicators. Let's say it's important for some problems. And so sometimes that comes into play, but it, it doesn't become one of the main pillars that I focus on. It's more how do I solve problems? Because that then can, you know, impact so many different areas of their life. And not all our students are going to go into what they're studying. So I don't remember the statistic, but it was somewhere around 65% last time I looked it up of college students don't go into the career they actually studied for. And so I feel like we should think about what they're learning that will impact their lives, not necessarily a specific career. That's an amazing statistic, actually. I hadn't even thought about that, really, because um, we always try to gather data about you know, where are our graduates now? And so for me, you know, you look for agencies, but then I look for client companies as well. And here in Silicon Valley, we look at tech too, because there are big creative groupings within the within the tech company. But yeah, of course, so many of them do other things as creative problem solvers. And I think those three pillars for me, they do ring true. I mean, creating creative problem solvers. I mean, certainly in advertising, you know, empathy is... I guess the most important soft skill, if we want to call it a soft skill for, for a long time now, understanding your audience and your users and what problems they're facing, you know, so that we can, we can design and communicate to them in the most appropriate way, in a way that's not intrusive. I think those are, those are great. But what really struck me was this idea of teaching them to, to learn. We had to do that. We had to suddenly relearn everything that we thought we knew. That's great. I really like that, actually. That's, uh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that sometime. One thing that I really liked that you mentioned there was, got to say this really, because I'm an Adobe education leader and Abby's an Adobe education leader as well. That's how we, we got to know each other and collaborate and so on. 
And so, of course, you know, using tools is an important part of who we are and, and what we do. So I found that really interesting that from the discipline of graphic design, that actually solving the problem becomes perhaps more important than craft. I'm not going to say it's more important than craft, but it certainly does seem to possibly drive craft, you know, so. Right. And that idea of teaching students to learn how to learn, to me, that's where those technical skills come into play. Because when you and I have been coming through the profession, you know, maybe every three years we'd get a new new piece of software that came out. And now it, it feels like it's every three months and maybe every three days. And so that ability to teach students to learn how to learn will hopefully enable them to continue to learn the craft because the technology, everything's going to keep changing. And so what I teach them today won't be relevant in two years. Not only were we getting that piece of software, it was in, a, in the form of a CD, you know? <laughs> I remember actually, you know, <laughs> or floppy sometimes, disks. sometimes using hooky versions of, um, of things. Never, never. My, no, well, <laughs> no, but... Um, but yeah, there were there were physical objects actually as well, weren't they? And now, of course, our updates are happening in the background. We're getting new things, new tools, new toys to play with. And we're learning as fast as, as they are. Sometimes, I mean, I feel that I learn as much from my students as they may do from me. And they've got more time sometimes to play with these tools than, than perhaps I do, you know? So they might know something new that's happening in Lightroom that I wasn't aware of. And it's so great to then hear this, you know, and, and be influenced in that way. I think in a way, like so learning to learn has made us perhaps like sort of um, it's democratized what we do perhaps some more because we're no longer like if we ever were, you know, the stage on the stage. I hope that that was never, I don't think that in creative practice, we do that. You know, we do tend to be much more within the throng, you know? Yeah. And I've had some students actually who, you know, We'll push back and say, you're not, we're not learning the software. Like I thought I would sit here and you would teach me, you know, go here and go here. And I always say like, if that's what you're looking for, you can do that on YouTube. Like we're spending a lot of money to be college students. Right. And I think that that's all out there. Like you said, it's democratized. Like you can, anyone can Google it and learn how to use the tools. Yeah, totally. And without too much plugging, um, I think Adobe's tutorials are really spot on now. You know, this is the message I send my students is um, you don't need to to search on YouTube for so, you know, for like for hours and finding just, you know, a lot of happy accidents. I mean, Adobe really have got their tutorials down pat. And so I use those. I mean, I use those as well alongside what I do. And I feel that this whole idea of learning to learn does cut both ways. So that's um, that was an interesting one. I'm really pleased you said that, actually. And also, I mean, this this kind of sort of segues nicely for me. You know, how about your, you know, your students when they when they were suddenly thrown into this brave new world? And you just mentioned that student there who asked, "Well, I thought you were going to teach us or show us how to how to do X, Y, Z." Did they take to this new world of working from home? And are they digitally literate? I mean, we like to think they are, but they are not always as competent, maybe as we think they might be. How did did the students react? You know, I, th- I think I'm fortunate that I teach in a program where we really get to know our students personally. We have small classes. I never have more than 15 students. And yeah, so that, that definitely helped a lot. I know some colleagues in other departments across the university had a little more, had more struggles with students being online and being able to come to their classes. But I, I would say mostly our students were able to adapt technology-wise. There was barriers of folks who may not have their own computer that was fast enough. Um, there's, you know, issues where 
Some students share a computer with their three siblings who all also are supposed to be online for classes. Um, so we, we did our best to work with everyone. And, and, you know, we're fortunate to have a few loaner laptops we were able to give out and, and address it as much as we could. It's so funny. And I know I know we're probably going to talk about it later of like what's sticking around. But as I'm thinking through this, it's hard for me to imagine what it was like before because we've just adapted so many of the tools now that we just use normally. And so I'm sure there was a little bit of a curve. You know, we started using some different types of whiteboard apps to show work. And I'm sure there was some confusion on how do I upload this and how do I do that? And like you said, we we assume they know, but most of the students don't look at file sizes and think like, oh, I shouldn't be posting a hundred gig file. (laughs) 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 So it's some of those production side of, of our business that we know from being in the industry that usually students don't learn until they're working. So they had to learn those skills. But that was a great thing, right? Because then they learned some skills they were going to be able to use when they got out there. Completely. And yeah, I mean, I think I can hear an echo there. You know, we have a lot of first generation students. We have a lot of um, first generation college going students, you know, uh, and students who are working two, three jobs. I mean, it's an expensive part of the world that we live in. They're sharing childcare, you know, with their parents in some cases, you know, with, when they have younger siblings. And, and sure, yeah, I get all of that. And the multi-generational families. And so on. All of these other other issues that, of course, requires empathy for us to be able to adequately plan and provide the service that we're paid to do. So I found, you know, again, at the very beginning, when everyone's cameras was on, you know, this is the, the theme, isn't it, these days? And nobody's cameras are on. <laughs> it was the exciting part. Like, yeah. oh, you're on my computer screen. Exactly. And, <laughs> and so and there was grandma sitting next to next to somebody on the couch as they were trying to do their class. Or there was one that I remember vividly, which was um, this guy. He very quickly like, sort of, um, switched his camera off after I think he had, it must have been like, I don't know, a bunch of cousins of friends who were sitting on the couch with them all drinking. And it was like, <laughs> I think it was a, you know, a five o'clock class or something. So fair enough. But he was there and he was present. He was engaging and his bros were all having a having a great time. And he was in class next to them. And, and this is a kind of environment that suddenly we transitioned to, you know. And sure, of course, some people are going to switch their cameras off because of this. And so some are sharing the, the family machine. I mean, it seems crazy. You know, not everybody has a, their individual machine. How, how can we expect anyone to? And so I found that those tools that you spoke about a second ago, the whiteboard apps and other collaboration tools that enabled us to do work in an asynchronous way, really kind of relieved that pressure. So I found myself building asynchronous sessions into my syllabus that before didn't happen because we were tied so rigidly to that Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, hour 15 kind of schedule. So now suddenly there's a new way of doing things, which is you can post your your work in progress throughout the day and we can dip in and we can dip out and we can build community in another way, in, in, in a different way. Did you find yourself using tools like those? So I did use them. I I, I would say I, I did most of my course time synchronously. And for me, I was really craving staying connected. And it was definitely a challenge when you get rid of the voice and you get rid of the visual and you're you're just looking at the work, even if you're reading at looking at some written content. So probably in a similar way, there were some students where that was what was needed and I was able to accommodate them and, and that was that was good for me. But I also 
even now, I prefer if a student sends me something, I usually respond right away if I'm in front of my machine and I say, can you jump on Zoom for a minute? Because if there's just something that's very hard to replace that, you know, walking through something and giving someone the chance to, you know, give the rebuttal and explain what they were thinking. So while I did use a lot of the different digital tools, I did stay more synchronous and asynchronous. In that first semester, I found I was on Zoom. We were on Zoom constantly. I started to build asynchronous more so in the fall of 2020 when, you know, by that point I had time to plan, I had time to kind of really think things through. I felt the Zoom fatigue already starting to come in. So I'm still using asynchronous. You know, I still have Slack as my hub where I find that, although I'm finding that students are starting to get like a little bit kind of, um, they're wise to it now, you know? Um, so do I move to Discord and try and meet them where they are? I don't know. I know some colleagues who have, but I prefer to use Slack simply because it's um, it's an industry tool. I'm I'm with I'm with you on that too. I, I just had the same conversation with a student who was like, "Is it like Discord?" I'm like, "It's like Discord, but I have all my professional networks on there, so it, it is easier for me right now to stay on there." Yeah, you remember we did the Tasty Design Challenge. Although you were the judge in the Tasty Design Challenge last semester. My clients, I had them in the Slack channel that that course that for the course that participated in the in the Tasty Design Challenge, and that was really great because they were able to to meet their client in this environment, which I know from my industry colleagues is one way in which they are organizing their time and their meetings now as well. So again, it's about learning new tools and new habits, isn't it? Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, you're bringing this up now. I, I do use it for my collaborative classes. And so I do have a collaborative class this semester where I have two different teams and they post on Slack and I respond to them whenever. So I, I am using it sometimes. It's just for me, it's become more of a supplement to the synchronous meeting times. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing it going that way, too. Um, I like Miro as well. And I like the way that all of this tech kind of speaks to each other. So how important is tech for... How important was tech, rather, for um, for moving into the pandemic world? No, it was huge. You know, for me, being someone who was taking online classes that were synchronously for a few years, getting my MBA, I had a little bit of an understanding, and and that experience had helped me rethink how I used an LMS, my learning management system, for my own classes. So I feel like, in some ways, technology-wise, I was building up for that moment. And so I, I felt very prepared when it happened because as a department, we all use Canvas. And so we already had that tool and most of us had our classes structured pretty clearly in there. And like you said, like Miro, and I think when we first started, I don't even know if it was out or I just didn't know about it yet, because I feel like we started maybe with Padlet, which was another kind of lower tech platform. I don't know if they're how they're doing. I haven't checked them out because Miro just kind of took over, but it was so essential. I mean, I I don't know, you know, we all say this, if it was five years before, we probably would not have been able to do what we were all able to do. 